Week six, instant reactions. This is the Underdog Football Show. Josh Norris, Hayden Winks, as usual, but more importantly, John Daigle, four for four, and Betsperts. Hayden, while the total did not hit 54 and a half, we have to begin with the Buffalo Bills beating the Kansas City Chiefs 24 to 20, get the monkey off their back and claim a victory that they let slip away during last year's playoffs. I've never seen two teams feel like they respect each other's offense more than this one. Just looking at the average depth of target, Josh Allen, 7.4 yards downfield, Patrick Mahomes, 5.7. Both of them were saying you are not going to get the big explosive plays. Both teams went super pass heavy as expected. Now there's just a couple more uh, defensive plays, some interceptions, some aggressive fourth down decisions. Uh, and ultimately just came down to who's going to have the ball last and who's going to force that last turnover. But this is two well-coached teams. There's nothing really to draw conclusions. If these are the AFC championship, uh, if this is the AFC championship game. Nobody will be surprised. I think these are, are still probably the two best teams uh, in football. Bills with Josh Allen, 329 yards and three touchdowns to go along with 32 yards on the ground for him. He continues to do it all. It's been so cool, and this is such an easy statement to make, but it's been so cool, Daigle, to see him almost harness these superpowers that we saw in spurts as a rookie, but it's like being able to use those in controlled environments while still playing like a pedal-to-the-floor style, which allows him to as Hayden mentioned, hit some of these shorter passes that we've seen over and over and over again while still creating these huge explosive plays to Gabriel Davis for 34 yards, Stefan Diggs for 31 yards, and a Dawson Knox 20-yard completion as well. Davis, as he saw, who literally just ran by his defender one-on-one coverage, just went around him and came down with a touchdown. Also, Josh Allen coming into this game, no surprise, averaging 30 fantasy points per game, hadn't finished outside the top five quarterbacks in any week, and he will continue to have that stretch after this massive performance, even in with 12 carries, yes, but not really adding much, just 3.2 fantasy points with his legs. All comes through the air, which is pretty good for him in this game. Before we move on from the Bills, Talk to me about Isaiah McKenzie, because this potentially was the worst game we've ever seen him play. He was fantastic prior to missing last week with an injury. And I do wonder if this, despite a win, is like maybe a turning point where they peel back to Khalil Shakur, who was awesome in his absence last week. But it's as if they called plays where they didn't lose confidence in Isaiah McKenzie. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I mean, the first, the fumble on the uh, little flip exchange, it seems like pre-snap there was something going on, and that was just a bad play. Uh, really unfortunate that that was a fumble. Isaiah McKenzie, if he was a little bit taller, he would have caught that pass in the slot. A couple other plays didn't really go his way. Yeah, tough tough game for him. Khalil Shakur, I think, can play. He will be in the mix. So I still think Isaiah McKenzie is going to be the slot receiver. I will mention, though, the Bills did make some slight adjustments. I, I noticed more 12 personnel, a second tight end. They definitely used a fullback at times against... Uh, the Chiefs as well. So there was probably more snaps than usual where it was only two wide receivers out in the route. And that's how Steph Diggs and uh, Gabe Davis combined for 19 of the team pass attempts. In this game in particular, McKenzie, 25, Ralph Kishkir's nine. But as you said, it could continue going one direction if McKenzie has more outings like this. Also good to see a season high of Routes on 78% of dropbacks for Dawson Knox, who had not who had not reached that any game prior to this due to injury and blowout situation. So we finally got a competitive game. We see him back at last year's usage. Hayden, what if I told you the main difference in this game versus last year was that the Bills signed Von Miller this offseason? Because the 13 seconds or whatever it was where 
Patrick Mahomes with Travis Kelsey and uh, Tyree Kill setting up that game-winning field goal last year. Like This is why I think defense matters in some situations because this is why all of these teams go out there and try to find that one player who can get teams off on third down, on fourth down to make game-changing moments. And that's exactly what Von Miller did on some third downs here. And that's exactly what he did to set up the game-winning interception. Like, he could be the key difference for the Bills to be an awesome team. Last year, there was putting up boatloads of points and a contender to the contender this season. Super important for the Bills, and I'm guessing it's what happened here. I don't have the numbers quite yet, but based off of Mahomes' 5.7 ADOT, I'm guessing they lived with bringing four and then playing cover two behind them. And in order to rush the passer with four, because this team historically has not blitzed, you got to get home with somebody, and that's where Von Miller is, that, that big ingredient to this. Yeah, big big game for, for Dawson Knox. Uh, still not earning that many targets, but that, that touchdown was a, uh, I believe it was man coverage looking at the dots. Uh, made a play down. He has been dealing with like a hamstring, a foot, a this and a that. Um, hopefully he can score some more touchdowns down the stretch. We are looking for tight ends. I think that he still belongs on the tight end one-two border. And this is the Gabe's, this is the classic Gabe stuff. Like argue that he's not good, that he's not earning targets, all this stuff. I really don't care. He's going to have games where he scores long touchdowns. It's part of this offense. Talk to me about the Chiefs. 20 points. Patrick Mahomes drops back 40 times. Two touchdowns, two interceptions for him. We finally got our Juju Smith-Schuster game. Caught all five of his targets for 113 yards. Made defenders bounce off of him for that 40-yard touchdown. Uh, you called it, and I think you called it mainly because of the style of defense that the Bills right. are playing, where zone, if he can't beat man, then at least he can sit in those areas and pick up yards after the catch. Yeah, and I think that's probably uh, reading into this is also just good luck. Like, the, he was so <laughs> unlucky, and then all of a sudden he gets lucky with, uh, I mean, lucky. He bounced off some players and ran for a touchdown. I He got... Uh, chase down on another explosive play but yeah this was just the matchup for him and mvs had really bad luck had that touchdown overturned at the end of it uh really clearly not like a huge part of this offense um just when it comes to targets uh travis kelsey's been falling out of his mind i will say that um sky Moore is mixing in maybe a little bit more uh with mccall hartman it seems like it's a little bit of a rotation there's no floor with any of these wide receivers there's obviously a ceiling um and we'll be grinding the matchups i do think that like Single high man stuff, maybe that's MVS. If it's too high zone stuff, maybe that's more Juju and Travis Kelsey. doesn't matter. And even Juju's two big plays were closer to the line of scrimmage. You saw him come out of the slot for that long touchdown, uh, a six-yard depth of target in this game. So only five targets here, whereas he had at least eight targets in four or five games previously, but nonetheless still gets there for everyone. I did want to mention MVS because I know in a lot of rankings, he was probably right next to Judas Smith-Schuster and obviously one goes for 113 and a score. The other one zeroes out. Uh, as you said, it was just unlucky. Like he had two end zone targets, one that was overturned, one that was intercepted by Kyrie Elam. Like that's exactly the type of usage that we want, yet it just doesn't hit here because as you said, there's no floor, there's no consistency here. It's Travis Kelsey and then just everyone else, which is frustrating. And it's like not what we're used to with this cheese team. In fact, if I had to like nail down someone else who was going to catch three passes in a single game, it would probably be Miko Hardman right now. It would be Juju for me. Um, it would not be Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who uh, is, is such a huge rotation at running back. I saw all of them uh, getting meaningful snaps early in the game. And when he's not scoring random touchdowns, it's really hard to, for him to be an RB two right now. Cause we know McKinnon's going to play some passing downs. Isaiah Pacheco's getting a little bit more run here. And we know that the Chiefs 
are going to remain one of the most pass heavy teams. So I think just in general, this game, the defenses came out to play each defense and team knows how to defend the other. They're going to have to earn uh, all, all this yardage, mostly underneath as those eight dots were suggesting, even those dots that you just showed me, I forgot which play that was. That was uh, a too high shell as well. So these teams know how to play each other. This is what we're going to be getting. And it's just like who could avoid um, the the game uh, ruining um, turnover. And I just love that when we do see Josh Allen getting single high with Juan Thornhill in the middle of the field, then like this is the time that he knows like, hey, I've got Gabe one on one with 23. These Chiefs, because they've lost some people to free agency in the past and they've tried to play these you know new players over and over again, like I'm going to trust him and then boom, going to throw it up and, and allow him to win. This is why to me, like a six targets on 40 attempts like does not matter. And we talk about it every single week. We don't need to bring it up anymore, but it's just different. Like a percent of target share is different for the Bills offense than it is for like, I don't know the freaking Seahawks offense or the freaking Panthers offense. And it helps when his targets are, you know, 30 yards downfield and in the, in the red zone because the bills live there. It's also unfortunate that MVS did get so unlucky because again, this was the boom spot. This was the matchup you want him in. Now we just go back to regular games for the chiefs where it's worst offensive situations for them. So not really a player I want to get excited about just because he got unlucky in this game. David, your games weren't great today. Well, let's start off with the Minnesota Vikings beating the Miami Dolphins 24-16. to Supposed to see Skylar Thompson here in his first start as a pro. Then he leaves quickly, so we saw Teddy Bridgewater versus Kirk Cousins. Two quarterbacks with great, great histories with the Minnesota Vikings. What happened? Vikings opened with four consecutive three and outs in this game. At one point on Dolphins' second drive, they actually had five penalties thrown on them. Uh, negating a lot of plays in that one. It was miserable football. Justin Jefferson's first catch didn't come until five minutes remaining in the second quarter, and he did get there in the end, mostly due to a 47-yard catch and run at the end of the third quarter. Dalvin Cook, after two quarters, had nine yards rushing at the half. Really, this entire game came down to -to back-to-back plays. And the second half, the Dolphins leading 16-10, uh, or trailing 16 to 10 with only four minutes remaining. Jalen Waddle has a crippling fumble at Miami's 40. And the very next play, Dalvin Cook takes it 53 yards for a house call. And that was the game right there. Waddle injured his shoulder in the second half as well, but did manage to come back. I guess we'll continue monitoring. Tyreek Hill yet again cramping for the second time at home this month due to Miami Heat. At one point, the broadcast showed the, this is so gold. Showed the difference. In the temperatures in Miami's sideline and Minnesota's sideline. And they were 40 degree difference, 120 plus degrees on Minnesota's side because of what Miami brings and creates for their own sideline with the cooling benches, fans, uh, the everything. Stadium else. just being in the shade. Like yes, it is everything built. Else. So the home sideline is in the shade. This is exactly the same scenario, Daigle, that happened earlier this season with the Buffalo Bills and how every single one of those players were cramping and coming off the field and couldn't continue these long eight to nine to 10 to 11 yard series. However, the Minnesota Vikings were able to conquer that. I think another important takeaway here for the backfield is that even with Miles Gaskin healthy scratched, Raheem Mostert coming off an injury, still out touches Chase Edmonds 15 to 4. Significant timeshare and back to back weeks in favor of Mostert. I got one quick note on Adam Thielen. Like coming into this game, he had like uh, four straight games, like 11 
uh, expected half PPR points has not really shown up in the box score. Um, but once again, this is going to be the same type of usage. His like wide receiver three usage has been pretty sustainable the entire year. He uh, scores a touchdown this time. Uh, the, he's been running pretty bad recently, but we'll see if this is a trend that continues. Talk to me about the difference between Tyreek Hill's usage and Jalen Waddle's usage, Dago, because I noticed it last week when Teddy immediately got replaced by Skylar Thompson, when they needed someone to manufacture things to. Uh, Tyreek Hill had like eight of those versus one for Jalen Waddle. Like I know they both had really good games. Waddle had 129 yards, but Tyreek Hill just doubled him up in in opportunities. Was the average depth of target different? Were the just receptions different in general? Closer to the line of scrimmage for Tyreek, who they typically manufacture touches and crossing routes for underneath. There's just like the rest of the season, there's been a distinctive, not 1A, 1B. It is Tyreek Hill who is the leading receiver and Jalen Waddle who is behind him. This is the third time this this year that Tyreek Hill has finished with at least a 31% target share in a game. Uh, it's the fourth time he's hit double-digit targets. He's averaging 10.8 targets to Jalen Waddle's eight per game for a reason, because he's their number one wideout. So it's just a player you continue to pile on, knowing that they will always find ways to get him targets. Uh, real quick, on the, the Teddy Bridgewater thing I found pretty interesting, and we got some clarity from the, the reporters. Skylar Thompson starts this game because uh, Coach McDaniels doesn't like his starting quarterback to miss any practice time. Teddy Bridgewater was DNP limited full. Like I would say what 90% of coaches that's more than enough. If yeah. they think he's better, he's in the minority and it kind of came down to bite him. Uh, Scott Thompson was not moving the ball. Teddy Bridgewater was able to do his thing later in the game. Maybe that was the difference in this game. I just wanted to mention that because it was really weird how the dolphins were handling that quarterback situation because he practiced in full on Friday. The New York giants are five and one. 24 to 20 victory over the Baltimore Ravens. They just hang around, man. They just hang around. I, I want to fast forward to the Ravens taking the lead 20 to 17. Um, it was a beautiful pass to Mark Andrews down on his right shoulder after making a shifty move against Fabian Moreau near the goal line. A beautiful pass to from Lamar Jackson. Um, all day, the Giants could not stop running back power. And this is why you had gains of like 30 yards, 27 yards, 21 yards by Kenyon Drake over and over and over again, who had 119 yards on 10 carries in this game. But after that, man, Daniel Jones just throughout was making third and 14 conversions, third and 12 conversions, second and 11 conversions, third and five conversions. Um, so then what happens up 20 to 17, after a Giants drive where Daniel Bellinger catches a touchdown pass, Lamar Jackson has a snap to him early, tries to roll out, fumbles it because Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, no, sorry, this is the interception that Patrick Ricard is sitting there near the first down marker. And it's just like, they know that they have to force something. They know they have to force something. And so that's the interception that then the Giants capitalized to score that go-ahead touchdown. And then with about two minutes left, like, again, on the second snap, when there's like a minute and 50 seconds, Lamar, who had a decent game and some really nice throws to, to namely Mark Andrews, tries to get away with the ball lower than his waist, knocked away from Kayvon Thibodeau, a strip sack, and it's just over. And Hayden, this is like what we're seeing, this theme of the Giants so far this year, where... If it's a close game, Brian Dayball isn't calling the defense. He's not calling the offense, yet they're so well coached in these 
game clinching scenarios that it's just like a closing wall around you over and over and over again. They wait for the offense to make a mistake. They pounce on it and they win these three to four to five to one point victories over and over and over again. And I know that's going to regress at some point, but it hasn't through six weeks. Yeah. Good coaching makes all the difference in the world. And that's been the giants uh, just looking at uh, what, what they did today on offense, 17 of their 24 series started with a rush. Um, and then Daniel Jones on his limited opportunities moved the ball pretty pretty well. Completion percentage over expected all the way up to ten. Um, this is with no nobody's like even like Wandell Robinson gets in there for a couple of snaps, but he was in a rotation. They're still looking for playmakers to step up right now. It's just all Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones doing just enough, and that they're winning a lot of the turnover battles. What stood out to me was this wasn't even a Saquon Barkley game. It feels like in four out of the six games so far, five out of them, we've had one massive Saquon Barkley game-changing moment that he creates something out of nothing. They didn't need that today. I mean, it was a 22 carry for 83 yard and one touchdown game from Saquon Barkley. He only had three catches for 12 yards. It truly was Matt Breida at times picking up in pass pro uh, or catching a wheel route for a first down on a third and 11 um, because Saquon Barkley was also dealing with a right shoulder issue that he kept going in and out uh, on the field over and over and over again. Uh, Wandale wasn't being used early on, then caught about half of his targets in a row. And his touchdown was basically from a bunch set, a natural pick play, a third and three near the goal line. And boom, that's a score. He's basically being used as a slot receiver. Richie James and gosh, I think it was uh, Marcus Johnson were running ahead of him. Marcus Johnson dropped a touchdown just before Wondell Robinson. So that's why he got that opportunity. But I, I really just want to give it up for Daniel Jones here. Like it helps when you have two awesome tackles against a really feisty Ravens defensive front. But Dan Jones was hanging in there and again, just making crucial second and long third and medium third and long plays. And then while the defense might be lacking premier talents at any spot, they certainly do enough to create enough turnovers. And uh, Wink Martindale was thrilled after letting down his own team again, not getting them ready for these running back powers with Kenyon Drake to then get the victory in the end. I wanted to ask you about Kenyon Drake after the game. Uh, we see that, um, J.K. Dobbins was limited to seven carries, quote, because his knee tightened up. That came from John Harbaugh about J.K. Dobbins. And then next-gen stats, they had Kenyon Drake, uh, 63 yards over expected on his 10 carries. J.K. Dobbins minus 24 yards on his seven carries. Going back to last week, we talked about it. We were kind of like, what's going on here? In the second half of the game, J.K. Dobbins kind of getting phased out. Same thing happens here. J.K. Dobbins is a very serious knee injury. I have some concerns. Um, we'll see. Seth Walder also tweeted out, uh, according to Next Gen Stats, that Kenyon Drake had over 63 yards, positive 63 yards over expectation today. J.K. Dobbins was negative 24 yards uh, over expectation on seven carries. Just miserable. It's almost such a good stat that I should repeat it for the third time in this thing. <laughs> um, oh, you said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but it's true. Like early season, Kenyon Drake, when he got that opportunity over Mike Davis. Like, I thought that could be a something for him. And then he just was awful. Like, he was pedestrian. Then as soon as J.K. Dobbins has come back, it's like he's got a little kick in his step. In fact, you see him high-stepping along the sidelines at times. And I just want to give it up to the blocking for the Ravens up front, too. Like, they were getting Patrick Card in motion, as well as pulling either the right tackle or the right guard in front of him. And a lot of these runs, no one was touching him. But then there were also some that he pressed the left hole and ran all the way to the right side. So it wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, J.K. Dobbins, if they don't fully trust him heading into these games, if Kenyon Drake does at least split the backfield, if not in these these games with more carries, 
Um, it truly was one of those where, again, you watched for the first three quarters and you're like, oh, the Ravens are just going to pull away at any moment. And they just did not. They just did not. And now they're at three and three, an offense where Lamar Jackson was starting off this season at like an MVP level. He certainly wasn't bad in this, but then two ill-time turnovers to end it just clinched it when you only put up 20 points. They need Rashad Bateman back, and he hasn't practiced at all. We don't have a confirmed timeline on his injury. It's been kind of up in the air with him, but they have two games in the next 10 days. Um, They have a Thursday night game, not this week, but the the week after that. They really need him. Like We like Devin Duvernay scheming him up. He's had a good season, but like Demarcus Robinson, these are their full-time players, and they combined for, what is it, uh, 41 yards. And there was a, a key series. There was a key series there where I think they had to settle for a field goal instead of a ball that got to Mark Andrews, but just before that, it was tipped. And then on third down, Lamar rolls left, has, I think, Devin DuVernay in a step on his defensive back and kind of just underthrows a little bit of throw he instantly wants back. And if either of those hit, it's probably a very different game that we're talking about here in the end. With only 27% of the snaps today for Dobbins to compare to 40% last week, like even with bye weeks, I don't know how or why you start them. I, I don't know how you do it. So if the Ravens are sputtering, let's talk about another team in the AFC North here. 30 to 26, the Bengals beat the New Orleans Saints. And maybe most importantly, Jamar Chase, what we've been craving all season, 10 targets, seven receptions, 132 yards and two touchdowns. The big plays came against cover one. The first touchdown was just man on man. And the single high safety was not on his side of the field. Uh, Makes a move, scores a touchdown in the end zone. And then the game winning touchdown was all Jamar Chase. Uh, Another, uh, I think it was cover one. They had a little bit of a blitz and he makes two defenders miss. Um, It was this one right here. This guy had no chance. And then Tyron Matthew, I don't know what's going on with Honey Badger. Seems like every other year he has a good year and a bad year. This seems like it could be, one of the bad seasons had no chance uh, bringing down Jamar Chase. So um, back to normal with uh, the Bengals. I, I will say there's a couple uh, just um, adjustments for the offense in general. 52 of the 54 snaps came in shotgun. I really do think that's going to help Joe Mixon in the long term. Uh, 2.7 yards per carry this season under center per Sports Info Solutions for Joe Mixon. And he was stuffed on 51 of those carries hit behind the line of scrimmage. They just can't run blocks. They just say, screw it. We're going to go back to what Joe Burrow did best in this exact stadium in the Superdome. Keep him uh, just where he can scan the field himself. And they had a little bit more um, success. 22 of the 25 series started with the pass. More pass first, more shotgun. I think that's really important development from Zach Taylor, who probably heading into this year because of an improved offensive line, wanted to run more under center concepts because, as you said, we've seen those most of the season. It's been awful through five games. So in the sixth game, you finally change it. I know Joe Goodberry has talked about this. I talked about with Josh McCown on the show last week, where even in cover two situations and different looks that Joe Burrow is seeing this year, when off that heavy play action, that hard play action, when he has to turn his head to the defense and then immediately snap it around and try to read it. Like that's where a lot of these mistakes had happened against the Pittsburgh Steelers against last week against the Baltimore Ravens. And then now, in this game, if it's just all under center, he keeps his eyes on the field and he's able to pick pinpoint pre-snap, post-snap without, you know, I couldn't imagine not looking at the place where I'm supposed to read what coverage it's supposed to be. Uh, it just makes sense. Like, it's hopefully going to get closer, Daigle, back to like what they were so successful on last season, you know? And I know 
some people were upset they got rugged with T. Higgins' usage in week five. This week, just know he was back to the number two receiver, even behind the scenes in the metrics, around on 89% of Burroughs' dropbacks. We are back at full strength there for Cincinnati. I, I did not think that he looked nearly as good. There was one dig route where he just kind of ran his route pretty sloppily, and probably because he was pivoting off that angle. He had a couple drops in the first half, too. Drops, a lot of stuff underneath. That was going to be my last note, just in general, with this offense. Uh, Joe Burrow has uh, a 6.1 a dot that's um, like bottom 14th percentile across the NFL and I think what's going to happen here in general is they're seeing all this cover two stuff all the uh, quarters coverage they're going to get in shotgun they're going to have him read it out and he's just going to take the little thing underneath and just dink dunk dink dunk so I think we can see the receiving like the receptions totals really start to pick up for all these players Joe Mixon uh, they go to empty uh, for his touchdown split them out wide he runs a little uh, route, a little slant route, catches on the three-yard line, runs into the uh, the end zone. So, um, good game for the offense in general. It was definitely a, a take what you're what you're given game and a big pivot. And we'll see if like these trends continue for the next couple couple weeks. But it is notable that they did, did this against the Saints, who play a lot of man defense. Historically, uh, more single high than than two high, and they still went to this offense. So, I think that this offense is going to be here to stay. Talk to me on the other side with the Saints because no Chris Olave, no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. So where was this offense going to flow through or it tried to flow through in order to be successful? I mean, it starts with Alvin Kamara, of course. Uh, they started uh, their 22 of their 30 drives with a rush. Most of those were with uh, Alvin Kamara. He also had uh, a, seat or a, a team high nine targets there was not that many explosive plays this week than there was last week they tried to get Taysom Hill involved but at the end of the day he's not running that many routes I think he had like four routes or something like that so he either has to score a touchdown or rip off big plays he even had a 31 yard run here but at the end of the day that's 3.9 fantasy points that's been basically where his expected half PPR points have been according to my model all year he needs he needs either catch passes or get goal line reps to pay off as a tight end. I think he's a tight end too with upside, but this would be a game to get him the rock. I am going to be monitoring Adam Troutman leaves uh, with an injury. They had to um, take him off the field. So maybe that opens up, opens up some things, but this offense really is just like they're trying their hardest. Andy Dolan just dinking and dunking all the way across the field, but they don't have enough wide receiver talent. We'll see if we get a Michael Thomas uh, update uh, this next week. To add context, though, to Taysom Hill with four passes as well as five carries, two deep shots, including an end zone target, I know people will see the results four and a half fantasy points and be upset, but add context to it. He's the tight end 16 right now in fantasy with Sunday and Monday night to go. And if that's if we don't remove the players you're never going to play anyways, like Jelani Woods, Daniel right. Bellinger, right, Connor right. Hayward. Thus, again, Taysom Hill is a weekly tight end one. I, I'm going to disagree. I think like the, the Dawson Knox, Irv Smith, I think I would slightly take them, especially when all these wide receivers come back. I view him as like a tight end too with upside. Like he clearly has like a ceiling case. Like if one of these games goes wrong, if Andon misses time with this game, like all of a sudden he's like clearly a tight end one. So you're playing for the upside. I just think that there, there truly is no floor because a lot of these are just like QB power from the 40 yard line. And those are like, very reliant on a big play. He can rip it off. He almost scored a big touchdown in this game um, as well. Notice that Saints coaches did not specify who's going to be the starter moving forward, if that's Andy Dalton or if that is Jameis Winston. So that's certainly something to monitor. The Bengals drop or 
I should say, improve to three and three, and the Saints drop to two and four. This isn't scientific, but anytime you rely on a fluky Rashid Shahid, uh, one carry for 44 yard touchdown, uh, that's probably not sustainable. You I don't know? know if it's fluky. It was a nice little run. He broke a few tackles in that run. Okay. He's got some juice. I, we, we, in our Slack channel, we were doing pop quiz. What school did you go? I had never heard of him. I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I did not recognize the player Same. at all. Didn't know how to spell his first name when uh, I heard it on the broadcast. Uh, Weber State. Yeah. Weber State. It only, Weber it only State. took Perfect. two week six for us to hear from the Rashid Shahids and the uh, Ronnie Rivers of the worlds. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen by week 16. Patriots and Browns. Bailey Zappi. <laughs> Bailey Zappi. 38 to 15 demolishing of Hell the New yeah. England Patriots. Daigle, this is back-to-back weeks where the Patriots have boa constrictored the opposing offenses. 15 combined points against the Lions and Browns defense or offenses who so far this season have put up points on their opposition. But no, not Stevie Belichick. No, sir. It's a double-edged sword to talk about Bailey Zappi because on one hand, it was two layup spots, right? It's a miserable Browns defense. Miserable. Missing Denzel Ward. Miles Garrett injured his shoulder in this game. So an easy spot. And then uh, also last week, we know Lions, far too many injuries were never going to compete for their bye. At the same time, there's some juice here. There really is maybe a career backup here we're watching. Uh, Even when the pocket cowers, like as someone who watches the Jets game, for instance, and I see the pocket close, and we'll Uh get to this with Zach Wilson, right? (laughs) Uh, When the pocket encloses on Bailey Zappi, head on a swivel, eyes downfield, moves up all all the time. Like you don't average 10 yards per attempt, even as a third string quarterback in a good spot because you don't have anything. There's something Bailey Zappi has here, and it really is fun to watch him. But again, the Browns were doing nothing to stop them, loading the box against Ramondre Stevenson, who basically is one good play. His one true play, explosive, was a 20-yard touchdown run. Other than that, the Browns really did contain him the entire time, honestly. Mm. I always felt like heading into this game, that's why we were going to play Ramondre Stevenson. Like It was great that he even was the running back out there, I think, for Daigle the first 42 of 44 snaps on offense. So that he was had the only snaps and only touches at the halftime. Right. And then only when they took the 24 to six lead, did Kevin Harris come on the field. That's the first time another running back played. So it was basically a hundred percent of touches, which is good. But even if he was going to get, you know, shorted for just short gains over and over and over again, he has that big play in him, right? Like he is unlike a lot of other 235 pound backs, where he has the wiggle, he has the moves out in open space to create that one electric run. And that's what happened before, obviously, the other touchdown later on in this game. And he did get stuffed at the goal line twice in the first quarter. So there was room for an even higher ceiling in this one. Bailey Zappi, 5.9 A dot, just dinks and dunks all over the field. That's what he did. It doesn't turn it over. I know, it's good stuff. I mean, going back to, to college, his college stats are out of control because he was popping my models and I was like, I put him on. I'm like, he's, I'm basically, he's my size and that's, that's no bueno. Uh, 62 touchdowns in college. He dropped back 686 times. Uh, so he's, he's experienced. He's just going to dink and dunk. And that's probably good news for Ramondre Stevenson. Um, but Mac Jones probably is going to come back next week. He was like at least somewhat close. Let's, but have, maybe this they buy him another week. Let, let's have this conversation. I'm not one to speculate like, Oh, this is weird. Why? Mac is questionable, but then he gets ruled out right at the end. I'm not saying about that stuff, but Hayden, you know this. Mac Jones has been a little bit loose with the football this season, and he's been a little bit more of an aggressive big play hunter, right? Um, 
What if this team thinks that their defense is playing at a supremely high level? Matt Judon, um, Kyle Duggar, uh, they've had rookies making plays too. What if they're like, we don't want our quarterback to force turnovers? And like Bailey Zappi is just not doing that at all. Could we continue this streak until it just falls off a cliff? You know what I'm saying? Well, at the Monday Night Football games, we get another day of rest. Um, and Mac Jones, yeah, he has been more turnover prone, but he had only 13 interceptions last year. And in college, he had 41 touchdowns to four interceptions. Like Mac Jones can say, I'll just I'll t- turn off the, the turnovers too. I, I think he can do that. And he can add all of the stuff that he can at least throw the ball to the sideline a little bit more than, than Bailey. I'm, I'm saying that as a huge Mac Jones fan, by the way, Daigle. Like, I think Mac Jones is a really good football player. I'm just putting myself in the corner of people who might be watching this and listening to it and being like, hey, these last two weeks, the Patriots have been unbelievable, uh, outscored their opponents a lot to a little, and Bailey Zappi was a member of that, a part of that. I know what the A dot says, but also go look at some of these 50-50 balls he throws to Devontae Parker. They're pretty frisky. They're the exact spot you need them to be downfield, honestly. I think also another huge development in this game is that even with Jonu Smith back healthy, thus in DFS and redraft, a lot of us got off Hunter Henry, but Hunter Henry's usage, 20.5% target share, around on 82% of dropbacks, even with Jonu Smith back. Pretty positive for him. Talk to me about Tyquan Thornton, too. His first game as a professional, I think, this week. Um, four catches for 37 yards and a score. Then also had another touchdown on the ground. He's lean. He's thin. But he has burst. And this team really needs someone, I think, like that. And that's why they drafted him over a bunch of the other names that a lot of people loved in the draft class. And Kendrick Bourne did get injured early. Thus, the only other receiver behind Tyquan Thornton was Matthew Slater, a special teamer. So they were going to use him in three wide sets after Bourne got injured no matter what. But that's when he got involved a lot more. Uh, open on a slant route that Zappy hit him for on the goal line. That's what took away Ramondre Stevenson's t- goal line touchdown basically in the first quarter. And then also an end around, like you said, using his speed, using his juice. We knew that's how he would be involved anyways. Uh, so a little more concerted touches along the way would be nice, but definitely using him exactly how you figured they would use him. Talk to me Brown. about the Browns. The Browns are ugly. Jacoby Brissett. So is this what happens? Is this what happens, Daigle, when Nick Chubb doesn't go off? You know, like he had 12 carries for 56 yards when in other games we've seen him go for 156 yards. Like, is this what they are accustomed to and what they might be moving forward? Because like after their early two wins, we all thought, well, like, hey, if they get to nine, eight, seven wins once the redacted quarterback comes back, this is a competitive team. Uh, now, since the defense is in the shape that they are, and if the running game doesn't create these explosives, uh, Jacoby's just not all that. It was his largest cut share of the season. Uh, he handled 77% of backfield touches. So that's the positive. Kareem Hunt with just four touches in this game. But yes, this is what happens. It's left to Jacoby Brissett and a, again, trailing 20 to 4 to 6 game script at one point. There is no way to come back from that, honestly, because then it takes Nick Chubb and eliminates him out of the game. Jacoby Brissett's first interception, very ugly. His second one, not his fault. But overall, I think we, especially with a bad defense, right, they need a a defense that can help carry them since they are, at the end of the day, still on a backup quarterback for the next handful of games through Week 11. Uh, They just need help all across the board, honestly. So Brissett is taking them as far as he can. You don't want to put all the blame on him, but it's the same thing. It's just the same thing every week. New York Jets are also 4-2. They beat the Green Bay Packers 27-10. to 
Aaron Rodgers. Since his receipts comment, I believe Robert Sala's New York Jets are four and one on the season. Uh, The Jets defense and special teams were truly spectacular in this game. And I don't mean to say this in a harsh way. Do not interpret it like this, gang green. But the Corey Davis double move for 40 yards was the only throw that Zach Wilson had to make all day. Now, I think any team would trade having your quarterback making only one meaningful throw for the entire day to win 27 to 10. Uh, I also want to say that this was a putrid start to this game. The first 11 drives ended with no points. Punt, 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 miss field goal, punt, 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 fumble field goal. Uh, That's awful. And a lot of it is on the Packers end, which we will get to in a moment. But what I loved about the Jets end was their usage of these two back sets that we bring up every single week because Michael Carter was able to be the single back on Brees Hall's touchdown where he basically acted as a tight end, given the inside handoff, two blockers in front, cuts it upfield, and boom, he's gone. Mike LaFleur also loves to draw up trickeration plays to Braxton Berrios in his free time. But the three plays that changed this entire game Again, pointing back to the young players on the Jets defense, there's a second and eight where Sauce Gardner had Romeo Dobbs on one-on-one. You'll find the highlights on Twitter if you want to. Mirrors him, drives, disrupts, incompletion, second and eight. Third and eight, Quinn Williams had an unreal sack and an unreal game. Makes it a fourth and 20, block punt, touchdown, 17-3, and the Packers had zero chance after that. So, This has been a Jets team so far that was Zach Wilson at quarterback has made enough throws in the passing game when they need them to, but it's been more relying on a great defense that is really emerging with a bunch of young talents and the running game behind a really good offensive line that I think can translate week to week. And true separation for Brees Hall for the first time all year. A season high, 77% of the team's running back carries, a season high, 76% of backfield touches overall. Absolute, like, finally distinctive from Michael Carter's usage. He actually got the official first start in here too. Um, He was in there on the first snap. Michael Carter did check in a bit later on. But to me, Hayden, that's a little little microcosm of here. Like both of these LaFleurs have a great duo running back, yet Mike LaFleur is using his correctly and Matt LaFleur of the Packers is not because A.J. Dillon opened this game with basically six touches to Aaron Jones's three Meanwhile, Aaron Jones was the one who was creating explosives. He was the one who looked like he wasn't running in cement, um, was rotating in and out here a little bit because it sound, it looked like he was banged up, but that didn't happen until about halfway through this game. And I, I just don't totally understand who the Packers either want to be offensively, can be offensively at this moment, because it's either not creating explosives in the passing game, not having the right back out there in the running game, And then when you get into second and long or third and long situations, your offensive line simply cannot handle a twist or a stunt up front. If two defensive linemen crisscross, the Packers offensive line cannot communicate and it equals a pressure or a sack. And that just simply can't happen against in a game that you're favored by. Can't do it. For the first time, they have offensive line issues. You know, they've had they've been rotating a lot in previous seasons, but this year it's like the first time that's actually catching up to them. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out this AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones situation all year. Um, I think at the end of the day, the sample size is big enough now where the Packers just aren't as good as what most people thought, and it's going to be hard for Aaron Jones 
and AJ Dillon to get there because they're not getting nearly as many goal line uh, opportunities as possible. And uh, I think just in general, I think I'm a little bit disappointed in Aaron Jones receiving numbers this year, just because they've been losing games and still just really hasn't been uh, lining up for Aaron Jones. But I'll tell you, there were situations on like a third and four where it was a clear swing pass to the running back. AJ Dillon was out there and Aaron Jones wasn't. It makes zero sense. And it's so difficult to peg of and, and predict of, well, that's going to be this way in this game and this way in this game. Um, and AJ Dillon just simply did not look good. Do you think Dylan played more today because of the weather? Because it I was... think he might have played more because of pass pro reasons. Like there okay. were a few times when they did hit the, hit these verticals to Al Nazard or tried yep. them down the field to Romeo Dobbs, where the Jets were, you know, doing these twists and stunts and sending extra people that AJ Dillon did pick up in those situations and did hit some pass pro. But then the rest was miserable by him. Nothing explosive, nothing good out of the backfield in the receiving game. So it's like taking this one tool and one skill that he had and implementing the game plan around it versus, you know, mixing and matching in the appropriate way, which again, the Jets have been doing nearly each and every week with both Michael Carter and Brees Hall and putting them in situations where they succeed. Josh, for the pass catchers here, Robert Tunyon goes crazy, leads the team with 12 targets. Obviously that's game script related, but we are looking for tight end twos. And I think part of the theory of like these ACL players is like, in September, they're just out there. We're happy to see him. October, they start heating up. Then November, December, he can start really being himself. I think that he would be definitely somebody that I think we're going to talk about in the waiver wire uh, shows. And then is it safe to say that Romeo Dobbs is too inconsistent, too inexperienced? Some of these routes seem a little chaotic to me. And that Al Lazard is the more relied upon player. Um, and that we, we're going to continue kind of separating these two in rankings, even though like some of the target shares and snaps, all that stuff are pretty similar. Yeah. The Lazard stuff, it was very clear that the Packers knew that they had to create explosive to get back in this game. And they were the ones trying to run vertical routes here. Like I'll, I'll show you Adam Lazard's target chart. It's all verticals, you know, it's all verticals. And other than that, as you can compare this to Aaron Rodgers' passing chart, they were what? five completions above 10 yards, you know, that's it. It's just to Al Nazard and, and that's it. So they haven't figured out Romeo Dobbs and isolated coverage. Let's test him along the sideline. Randall Cobb left this game on a cart. So he'll probably be out for the rest of the season. Um, and then just sauce Gardner against Dobbs was just a much better matchup. And, you know, the top six draft pick outperformed the fourth rounder. And that's not shocking. And I know people want, more explosiveness, more consistency. But for Alan Lazard, you actually are getting consistency. This is his third consecutive game with at least oh, yeah. eight targets and a 20% target share. Like he's honed in on whether Robert Tunyon, who, as you mentioned, Hayden, a season high, 74% route participation today, whether Tunyon or Dobbs pops, Lazard is still around every single week. I'm not going to keep repeating this, but maybe for the last time, on third and short twice, the Jets did decide to throw. They drew up plays to Zach Wilson's left side, and he failed to convert on both of those. Just something to monitor as we go along. Um, but yeah, just 10 completions he had all day, and it just wasn't necessary when you have Brees Hall again, 24-116, and then the the defense and the special teams being that good. Wilson I mean, that, also failed to convert when he ran to the sideline and underhanded at 20 yards downfield into double coverage. Is there anything you want to say? I always feel like I'm the bad mm -hmm. like the Zach Wilson bad guy here, but... I think it speaks to this team as a whole and like Robert Sala building something and Joe Douglas building something where when your quarterback doesn't have to be spectacular, 
make one or two or three throws a game, like that's all that you need. He that's had second, teams. second percentile success rate this today. We, we're talking about Zach Wilson, though. I think everyone wants to know about Elijah Moore, who didn't have a target today. It's just it's 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 based on the passing game. Like there was just nothing needed on even the beautiful outside breaking route or comeback route along the right side. Um, it the offense just, is different. It's so it's different. It's different. It's so different. It's it's run first in deep throws. Yeah, Joe Flacco. It's pass first in trail while trailing in short throws. Good luck. You're, the math does not work. Go find Corey a spreadsheet da- and try try to jam these stuff in. It will not work. Corey Davis also leads the team in receiving yards since Zach Wilson returns, and also for the second straight game today, ran more routes than Elijah Moore. It, it's clear even for on field usage, uh, Davis is becoming their wide receiver one for better or worse. Yeah, he had he had a really clutch third down reception on the left side. Then that 40 yarder down the field, he actually had to come back to the football. If it was maybe a slightly better throw, it could have been a touchdown there. So Corey Davis is a very trusted player. Just quickly here for the Jets. They're four and two. That is awesome. They've had wins against the Browns, the Steelers, the Dolphins, and the Packers going to Lambeau Field. Next four games at the Broncos versus the Patriots versus the Bills at the Patriots. Those are some defenses. Yeah, they'll be tested. Those are some defenses, and I can't wait to see how this Jets offense, because, man, Mike LaFleur can draw it up. Yeah, that's the big takeaway for me, is they got young talent, and they got an offensive coordinator. Buccaneers, Pittsburgh Steelers, a 10-point road favorite, I believe the Bucs were, in this game, and yet they lose by two points. How the hell did this happen? When also we had both quarterbacks in here and Mitchell Trubisky steps in to go nine of 12 for 144 yards and a score. My opinion is that the Bucks tried to pass the ball or run the ball a little bit too much. And it was kind of same old, same old with the Leonard Fournette stuff who gets home um, eventually. Uh, but man, Tom Brady's just looking mad out there. Like in a lot of it's at his offensive line. Um, there's There was no explosive plays in this game. That was probably the frustrating part because the entire secondary plus TJ Watt weren't playing for the Steelers. So super frustrating game for Tom Brady. And I would say in particular, Mike Evans, uh, once they are trailing and they don't have trust in their offensive line, here comes a bunch of targets underneath to Chris Godwin led the team by a ton with 12 of them dinking, dunking all the way across the field, his snap rate and all that stuff was up. So big news for Chris Godwin long-term, but really the, Leonard Fournette run game is just not going to work. 21 carries for 63 yards. I don't know why they went back to that. Like, to me, this matchup, like the entire uh, secondary was banged up. Why not just like go and pass the ball a ton? Like, they're like 50 50 on uh, if their first um, play in a series was going to be run or a pass. I don't understand that. I thought we had this figured out. They were moving the ball more the last three weeks, and then all of a sudden they go back to this. It's similar to last week as well, where they were never really in danger of losing to the Falcons, but they left points on the board. This time, they left points on the board, four red zone possessions, three field goals on those possessions, and it came back to haunt them. They can't run. Leonard Fournette, they cannot run, but this is how down bad this offense is. Leonard Fournette has accounted for every single touchdown this team has scored the past two weeks. He's He's the only player to get in the end zone. Their wide receivers have it. It's only been Leonard Fournette. Okay. And I don't know if this is possible Hayden, without rewatching this game, but the Steelers had no defensive backs out there. None. Zero. Tom Brady threw the ball 40 times. Was it Mike Evans not doing it? Was it Chris Godwin not doing it? Was it Cameron Brate leaving injured? Like 
why why didn't was it the offensive line was it tom brady inaccuracies like what what was the small margin like why this did not connect i mean i'll have to go back and watch on all 22 but tom brady was yelling out his offensive line in particular so like i think it starts there and they weren't creating any explosive plays not obviously tom brady historically like we keep mentioning his time to throw is like immediate and he has been throwing the ball deep and they have been successful in in spurts here but man it was just not really working out um like you said, Cameron Brait, second concussion in three weeks. He's probably going to be missing a, quite a bit of time. So in a deeper league, Kate Otten does become more viable. But um, Leonard Fournette, six receptions, 38 yards, one touchdown. Don't watch the games. Uh, don't look up any next-gen stats data with him. Just refresh your box scores, and there will be production. 27 touches for him is unbelievable when he hasn't even played well this season. And like Rashad White's still mixing in. You know, like right. This is just part of the offense. Tom Brady doesn't want to get hit. He's 45. They had a, an important drive in the fourth quarter as well on third and one, fourth and one, I believe it was. And it was Rashad White, not only in the game next to Tom Brady and shotgun, but also got the target on that play and they converted to keep up the drive. But at the same time, they still put in Leonard Fournette for everything, everything. Talk to me about the Steelers, because just looking at the box score for the receiving game, again, 30 combined attempts from Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. The leading receiver is Chase Claypool for seven receptions, 96 yards. The second leading receiver is fullback slash tight end Connor Hayward yeah. with two receptions and 49 yards. Then immediately after that, it's 28 yards and 27 yards from Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Like not really the box score I would have looked at and said, oh yeah, that means they beat the Bucs. I was pretty uh, optimistic for Deontay and George Pickens and Najee Harris because of garbage time. The garbage time never came. They were uh, basically tied or slightly ahead this entire time. Uh, late in the game, Chase Claypool makes two huge plays. Um, he has not been a playmaker at all this year. He was really fired up, uh, rightfully so, uh, in the fourth quarter, really creating some separation, uh, earning those targets for uh, 96 yards. Uh, and a touchdown. Uh, Najee Harris, kind of the same old, same old, not that efficient on the ground, but he is out there for uh, a lot of this, the time, and we'll see what happens. Uh, Kenny Pickett leaves with a concussion. Uh, most, or I shouldn't say most, but a larger portion of these concussed players are missing that first game back. I think like last year, the five games in, they're out. This year, t uh, players in-game are leaving more often, and they're staying out for longer. Uh, Trubisky did come in, uh, was more aggressive passing, was actually more efficient uh, than Kenny Pickett. We'll see what they do uh, next week. Not only that, but Chris Olave, Naheem Hines, Isaiah McKenzie, limited practices to close the week. And uh, Olave was actually full on Friday and still ruled out. So if a player gets a concussion, just assume they're going to miss the next week, given what happened with Tua. Najee Harris touchdown. Yep. Yeah. I knew that was like, just throw him on the outside and Kenny Pickett hit him. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I think I think in general this offense is we I think we've seen the worst of this offense, and I think there will be gar garbage time opportunities. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I think it's yeah. RB two. We've seen enough in the first month of the season, so it probably won't matter. But I will say, this offense didn't create explosives until Trubisky came off the bench. That's when this offense got juice. Fighting words for Hayden again. Lawrence's it doesn't matter, but that's when they became fun. Who's wearing his black and gold? Is the Chase Claypool stuff translatable at all? Like it felt like it was there to close the game at the end, and he was just making these, uh, let's say, unsticky, like catches each yeah. and every down. He just earned those targets. Everybody was out there, and he just earned them. There's nothing like schematic for it. Yeah, he has 16 targets the past two weeks. That's not oh. bad. 34-27, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in really the dying moments.
of this game. Uh, Daigle, if I looked at the box score and I said after last week when a lot of Jaguars fans put the blame on their loss to Houston Texans after scoring just six points and 422 yards on Trevor Lawrence's shoulders. And then here, he only has two incompletions granted for 165 yards on 22 attempts, yet they lose again, 27 to 34. What the hell happened in this one? No Jonathan Taylor, no Naheem Hines. Frank Reich puts it literally all on Matt Ryan's shoulders. They picked up 30 down, 31st down the Colts did in this game. 23 of, the, 23 of them came through the air. They literally just relied on Matt Ryan for everything. The Colts hadn't scored more than 20 points in seven straight games coming into Sunday. And then they had this one. Uh, it came down to the end two, third and one, 29 seconds left. Ryan goes to Alec Pierce, one-on-one -on -one into the end zone, 30 yards downfield. And Pierce, being an athletic boundary wideout, beats his man for his first touchdown of the year. And that also was Ryan's third game-winning drive of the season for Indy, despite the fact that he keeps getting shat on by everyone. No sacks taken in this game. No turnovers. Wow. No turnovers for the Colts. And Ryan also broke franchise's single-game record for completions and moved into seventh all-time on the NFL's career passing list. Just an awesome game. And, and that's with the Jaguars. Remember, the Colts permitted 97 rushing yards per game, a stout front seven. And they were injured in this one. But the Colts allowed 243 rushing yards to the Jaguars, including a 60-yard touchdown to Jamichael Hasty, where the seas parted. He was untouched. No one was even within arm's length of grabbing him, and the Colts still escaped, all because of Matt Ryan picking them apart. Uh, per True Media, Matt Ryan's time to throw today was 2.4 seconds, the quickest he's gotten rid of it, which probably outlines why he had no sacks in this game. And Zach Kiefer, the great beat writer of the Colts, said that Frank Reich in his postgame told the press that he told the players early in the week they were going to go all in on the no huddle against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, Daigle, do you think that this is a game plan that is transferable to future weeks? Or do you think that it's no Naeem Hines, no Jonathan Taylor? We have Deion Jackson, who was heavily used in the passing game but we have to completely reshape our offense on the fly because those two core pieces, namely Jonathan Taylor, we don't have, and we're just going to try something different against this Jaguars team that we played just a few weeks ago and lost to. I think it can help out Jonathan Taylor too. Taylor, remember, was handling 75% of the backfield touches prior to injury and also had out-snapped Naeem Hines 45 to 22 on third and fourth down. Like he was quietly seeing career best usage, although it came and went it, it seemed like it was fluttering given yeah. that he had that blip on the radar with 10 touches in the first matchup against the Jaguars in week two. But overall, I think it can help. Remember that Sharp Football's Rich Rebar noted that Michael Pittman, 87% of his routes this year, had been hitches and comebacks. Thus, he had a shallow A dot. So what did they do? They still went all in on those types of routes. Pittman only had a 5.7-yard depth of target in this game, but it doesn't matter when you get jammed 13 targets. That's how you hit your floor. You get sandwiched opportunity. And so I think it's just fine. Like, it's not exactly what we want downfield, but if they're just going to continue launching 50 pass attempts per game as a faster team, it's why we also like the Seahawks all of a sudden. Like they became a faster team and thus the Colts are doing that as well. Yep. More plays are better for, for everybody, including the it, running backs. It felt like where everything was so much closer to the line of scrimmage today, like you're saying Daigle, but then like the one key play at the end was that Alec Pierce 32 yard touchdown that they hit over the top, which he really didn't get any vertical shots last week when uh, really making his NFL debut. Um, talk to me about the Jaguars. 
Okay. I mentioned the quarterback play, not a ton of passing yards, but as you said, 243 rushing yards as a team and really Travis Etienne going 10 for 86, James Robinson, 12 for 54. Seemed like a lot worked on the Jaguars offense once again. And it was all running against the front seven. Lots of shallow targets here. Also why Trevor Lawrence only had two incompletions. I believe he was 20, 22 of 22 in the box score. But overall, it was the running game that attacked. Travis Etienne in the first quarter had three 20-yard gains uh, on his touches. Like, just exploding. And at the end of the day, James Robinson still out-touches him. But overall, they literally relied on the running game. And it just came down to whoever had the ball last was really going to win this one since they were just unable to stop the Colts' passing offense. I'm looking at it right now. He had a four A dot Trevor Lawrence. So this team, like as a, as a team, had like a hundred air yards up for grabs. So it was just a really weird uh, game plan for the Jaguars. It was pretty effective, like we keep mentioning. Like I think Trevor Lawrence's stats look good, um, efficiency wise, and same thing with the run game. But they just couldn't get any stops on defense. But it has to be. It has to be pretty frustrating, right? Because. They're down 21 to 26, and Trevor Lawrence manufactures this awesome 18-play, 84-yard, 10-minute drive to bring it down with just, what, two minutes and 40 seconds to go? And then you have your defense, which, you know, you drafted all these pieces, and you paid Shaq Griffin, who I think was targeted over and over and over again, and they let you down, right? And they let you down. So it's like back-to-back weeks of two kind of different outcomes where the defense played at a high level last week. The offense let you down. Now the offense puts up enough points and the defense lets you down. Like, I think this is kind of the little growing pains of what we can expect from a younger offense that at least I know in the building, they are basically throwing away everything last year and feel like they have to start over from scratch with nearly the entire roster. And that includes Trevor Lawrence because uh, the Urban Meyer era uh, only hurt. It didn't help the development, even though they got experience on the field. Christian Kirk also did not see fewer than six targets. Yeah, what in the hell? in any game through the first month. And now we have back-to-back weeks with fewer than six targets. What the hell? And honestly, if he doesn't score that goal line touchdown inside the five-yard line, it's a miserable, miserable day. At least 23% targets for the the earned target share bros, of which there are many. (laughs) That'll look good in the uh, spreadsheet tomorrow. Tell them about Kyle Pitt's target share. Seattle Seahawks 19, Arizona Cardinals 9. The Seahawks improved to 3-3. and on the season. Um, The only thing I can say about this game is that if the Cardinals had a kicker, this game would have looked a lot different because, because Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray have gone for it on the Seahawks 23, 27 and 20 yard line. They failed to pick up all of those on fourth down. And then Matt Amendola missed a field goal. So the final score could have headed to overtime 19 219. And in fact, if you combine both of these teams, they converted nine of 33 third and fourth down attempts. That's pretty awful. So nothing really hit on either side other than the rookie himself, Kenneth Walker, the third, who was truly outstanding in this game. Sure. The box score might only say 21 carries for 96 yards and a touchdown, but 11 of those first carries went for 81 yards, including that score later on. He had chunk gains of 34, 17, 21 yards. 
felt like the Seahawks didn't ride him enough early on because he had 51 yards and then opening five plays. And then he really didn't get a touch until the second half. Um, but there's something special here for the Seahawks uh, with Kenneth Walker, who creates on his own, who does that little dead leg step, who forces Arizona Cardinals defensive backs and linebackers to barely graze him with two hands as he's running right by them. What a fascinating player. And I think he really was the difference when Geno Smith in this passing game has been so good this season, could only muster 160 yards, when now you have an explosive running back, who Rashad Penny has also been in the past, who creates on his own. It's a balanced offense. It really is. I want to save a lot of my takes for the Tuesday show when I have the game tape, but he, everyone complains that he's like too chaotic and he's like chopping his feet at the line of scrimmage and stuff. I'll watch the the linebackers and stuff. He's read he's reading these linebackers, making them go into a hole and then jumping around them. I saw that in one of the carries this last time. He there's there's a little um, method to this madness with with Kenneth Walker. He's he's a dynamic talent. So can't wait to Dale. Do we have like? a route participation or any, anything like that. I'm sure it's like all the same. Like he's early down guy, DJ Dallas out there. DJ Dallas was the third down, um, ran just one more route. So only one more route than Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker still involved there, but overall, yes, DJ Dallas, even when I was watching this game was the third, fourth down option. I Watch can't... Walker's touchdown. Oh, he so literally, good. he literally like priest home strafes into the end zone. He just dances to blind linebackers and then just explodes forward. Now for the bad. The Seahawks defense heading into this game was allowing opponents to score touchdowns, 3.6 touchdowns per game. 30 points per game. Cardinals mustered nine points. Nine. Kyler Murray, 23 of 37, 224 yards in an interception. Sacked six times. Yes, granted, he did have 100 yards in the ground on 10 <laughs> carries, but on one third or fourth down that he converted, just getting beyond the sticks, he then fumbled it and gave the ball right back over to the Seattle Seahawks. So it was truly a game where they made one positive thing happen. Like maybe Eno Benjamin had a third and six conversion. Then on the fourth down or the preceding third down, they just failed. You know, um, Cliff isn't helping. Kyler isn't helping. The offensive line isn't helping. Justin Pugh went down. And then... Marquise Brown, with about two minutes and 15 seconds left, is helped by two trainers to get off the field. The only bright spot this team has, sure, they get DeAndre Hopkins back next week, but hopefully, hopefully Hollywood is okay because the only chance the Cardinals have is for these special players to make special plays because they're not being really put in scenarios to, to succeed. And even if they were, I don't trust necessarily Kyler to fulfill exactly the scope or the outline of what the play is supposed to do because he's doing his best work in freelance situations right now too. The offensive line's so banged up. Like Rodney Hudson's been missing time. Both of their guard play has been missing time. The, the tackle play just in general, there's a lack of talent there. It's, it's a bad formula when you have Kyler Murray who like, I hate to be like the short quarterback, bro, but like if he's scrambling around and stuff, it's hard to read the field when you're pressured. And to me, I think Mark, I, I think DeAndre Hopkins, like definitely at his peak, was better than Marquise Brown's ever been at his peak. But this team needs juice on offense. I'm going to be very concerned if Marquise Brown, yeah. which it looks like, is going to miss some time. You can't have Zach Ertz and DeAndre like this version of the DeAndre Hopkins without the Beaver tranquilizer. Like this is going to be an offense. How are they going to throw the ball deep downfield? I'm I'm getting a little bit concerned here. 
That's why I also struggle to talk about Eno Benjamin because he did look like a seventh-round running back, but also the offensive line causes a lot of their problems here, and he at least handled 18 of 21 backfield touches here. Uh, Also, though, it just doesn't make – go ahead, Josh. No, I was just going to say, even with the Cardinals, the nine points wasn't even their offense. Six of those – were from special teams once again because Michael Dixon tries to avoid a free rusher that's going to block his punt, fumbles it, and then the Cardinals, then the Cardinals recover it for for a touchdown. So literally, the Cardinals offense put up three points on here against a defense that was averaging three point six touchdowns allowed per game. It's been bad, man. Mark, Marcus Brown or Kyler Murray also, even including today, has yet to finish inside the top eight quarterbacks in any game this year. It's been a disaster. I, I think your point, Hayden, of they need speed, they need juice, and if Hollywood misses, it's just going to get like maybe even worse, you know, maybe yeah. even worse because there were those fourth downs where Kyler tried to buy some time and then he was panicking to see who was open and it was like AJ Green with a step and then it was just an overthrow because he has no juice to get down the field either. I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, to me, they don't have money moving forward in draft picks and stuff. And how are they fixing this offensive line? Like. Can't. And as his name is Robert Paulson notes in the chat, Cliff needs to go, buddy. Cliff just got extended. He's going nowhere. Yeah. Nothing's well paid both the general manager. Uh, and it's, if we can say this, it's an indictment on Steve Kime where you can't find the right kickers to for your coach to trust them, where they're basically eliminating 10 points off the scoreboard. Like, bring them in. This is your job to have the roster in a better place where you don't just evacuate 10 points. It's new. It's ludicrous. It's nuts. I will say all these negatives and they're all positives for Mr. Zach Ertz, 10 targets. He's been top five in usage. It's not pretty, but man, if they can't move the ball downfield and their defense stings, their offensive line stings, guess what? Zach Ertz is going to sit on a little curl route and pick up a 1.2 fantasy points uh, per target. Also, I, I can't really say why DK and Tyler Lockett didn't get here. Like, I, I want to rewatch on on Tuesday with the All Twenty Two. It just felt like those targets down the field were not there, and that's why you saw a bit more to D. Eskridge and Noah Fant closer and Marquise Goodwin to the line of scrimmage. So we didn't see that like one beautiful vertical shot to either one of those players today. I think it will go overlooked, but the Cardinals are actually scheming up. Some good defense, honestly, since they got everyone healthy. Uh, no quarterback has thrown for 260 yards on them since week two. Like week one, they got blown out. And since then, they've been pretty steady, honestly, with their scheme and play calling. All right. I think we have four games to ask questions about. Have we all covered the games that we covered today? Yes. Nod your head. Yes. Yep. 49ers and Atlanta Falcons. What the hell? 28 to 14 victory for the Atlanta Falcons. Almost a perfect Marcus Mariota performance. 13 of 14, 129 yards and two touchdowns. Cal Pitt scores his first touchdown on U.S. soil. And you get a combined 31 carries for 110 yards. Hayden, my question is, we outlined it how the 49ers were dealing with so many injuries heading into this. I know Hufanga left early as well to add on to this. And so was a defense losing eight of their 11 starters, the main difference in giving up 28 points and a not measly or miserable Atlanta Falcons team. 
but one who should not be beating the 49ers here on Sunday. Was that the main difference? Yeah, defensive uh, injuries clearly matter. I will also say that the Falcons offense has been better than everyone expects. Like literally every single week, they're just a little bit better than what people are giving them credit for. Arthur Smith's calling a great, not fantasy game, but real life game. Uh, and Mariota for all of his weaknesses, and there are clear weaknesses, he's still getting the job done. His efficiency stats have been pretty good. Um, and then adds obviously 50 yards in a score here. So um, I was really bullish on Drake London um, because of game script. Game script never came, so they were all pretty much shut out in the box score. Um, maybe the target shared guys did very well in their league, so it's a still a trio committee as well as Avery Williams continues being sprinkled in for just enough touches to be annoying. Also, Caleb Huntley. Now we have four games. He hasn't seen one target. Tyler Algier also just one target the past three weeks. Like they just don't throw to their running backs, which lowers their ceiling every single time. This is vintage Jimmy Garoppolo vision cone middle of the field. And what that equaled for the 49ers passing game was Brandon Ayuk eight for 83 and two touchdowns, George Kittle eight for 83 and Debo Samuel seven for 79. Um, I would like for that to continue more and more in this passing game. Cause at least some consistency versus one going off or two going off and one being forgotten. But if there's any history that we have for this 49ers team, Hayden is that it's not going to continue in that same manner moving forward. Yeah. This was the game script game. Uh, reverse so that's how they all end up getting there um yeah the jimmy g stuff he'll be efficient on a per target basis per drop back basis because he throws the ball over the field those also lead to higher interceptions that's just what you're getting from this offense so ball bounces up for an interception and all of a sudden they go into negative negative game script and this is um kind of what happens do we have anything on debo samuel where he was being used and all that stuff i know it probably was all wide receiver because of game script yeah i mean deep debo had two carries um I will add to that. Jeff Wilson got me negative points in a league because he had a uh, awful fumble in this game just to go with 25 yards and then nothing in the passing game too. So that always, this hurts. is, this is the third consecutive week too, that Debo Samuel hasn't had more than two carries. It's almost as if that rushing usage is slowly evaporating. Uh, also for your note on Jeff Wilson, that's kind of the most important takeaway here is that with no Tyrion Davis price and Tevin Coleman in weeks three and four, Jeff Wilson handled 96% of running back carries. The past two weeks, with Tevin Coleman active and involved, Jeff Wilson has handled 66% of running back carries. And with no passing game usage, he just has to be moved down the ranks to a fringe RB2. Like, it's an ugly position, so you're probably forced to start him still. But honestly, like, the usage has only gotten worse every week. Yeah, and I think TDP returned this game and played some fullback, too, even though he didn't see carries, so... Yeah, and next week they play the Chiefs. So yes. we're talking about a, a, a banged-up defense, and we need positive game script for Jeff Wilson. Good luck. Yeah, it's the Chiefs, then the Rams, then the Chargers after that for that team. Okay, uh, one more game from Sunday, then we'll quickly hit on Thursday night's debacle of a football game. Uh, here it is, the Panthers at the Rams. Rams win 24-10. to 10. My question to you, if Allen Robinson goes 5 for 63 and one touchdown, and nobody watched it, did it truly happen? I, I heard, I saw a stat, people went from 10th place to 9th place for Allen Robinson uh, in their it's, leagues. I mean, it's, like, re it's really going to hurt when they start him next week. That's the part that's really going to hurt. Uh, okay, what we can take from this, and the Rams, other than like the Panthers leading this at halftime, 10 to 7, dominated from there on out by scoring 17 unanswered points. Uh, Matthew Stafford finished 253 yards, a touchdown, and that, pick six to Dante Jackson. 
Uh, but in the backfield, we did see Daryl Henderson had 12 carries for 43 yards and a score. Malcolm Brown, seven for 15. And then Peter Schrager's favorite player, Ronnie Rivers, with one carry in this game. It certainly seemed like Daryl Henderson also had some pass pro reps that were responsible for a few blitz pickups. And unless they make a move, certainly sounds like Cam Akers is out forever as a Los Angeles Ram. And so I know it was measly rushing production and it's lucky he got home with a touchdown, but Daryl Henderson is in that running back two conversation yeah. until proven otherwise. I agree. I'll Al snapped Malcolm Brown 46 to 16 in this game. It really wasn't a timeshare. It was 70-30 in favor of Daryl Henderson. Just an, an easy matchup, too. As, as I'm sure you were watching, Josh, this one. Uh, my concern and getting rid of – go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just laughing because <laughs> – you're I, watching. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really watch this game. You probably watched more of it than I did. You're sick of you're watching this, Josh. Uh, I was watching it for DFS purposes, but as you – Who did you have in DFS in this game? Who? Panthers defense. Well, they got uh, as you as hey, they got a touchdown as yeah. you saw, though, because I know you were still secretly watching the corner of your eye. I was concerned about it was Ben McAdoo being left over, right? Because the problem with the Panthers, there are a lot of problems with this offense, but they're running a league low 53 plays per game. It's a joke. And so when they fired Matt Rule and Phil Snow, it's like the, the problem. One of the biggest problems is still here, right? Panthers run 44 plays in this game. Literally nothing changes. They became the horizontal raid. Uh, every throw P.J. Walker had was literally at or behind the line of scrimmage. It was insane. So, yes, I watched enough to know I don't want to watch the Panthers again. Daigle, I know you said that in passing. P.J. Walker's dot was, <laughs> I've never seen this before, negative point yeah. one, negative dot from a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he, he was living in the upside down today. Is is what he was. Doing. I've never yeah. seen a negative eight dot. I I might not see that ever again. This is this it. Forty four yards at the half. It was not. Wow. It was not pretty. Um, DJ Moore had three catches for seven yards. <laughs> I mean, neg negative fourteen air yards. I bet. Get out of here. This. The Christian McCaffrey here, stuff Moore. quietly. Christian McCaffrey stuff is good. The targets are there. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, but it's also in pregame we heard that, and we talked about this in our show, Hayden. If a team doesn't give up a first round pick, they're not getting Christian McCaffrey. To me, it's a second round pick, but like David Tepper is too prideful to dish a quote unquote face the franchise for anything less than that. So like is a contender because Christian McCaffrey is still playing well, 13 carries, 69 yards, seven receptions, 89 yards. The rest of the team, I think combined for about 60 or 70 yards besides him. That's Christian, not those stuff. Christian McCaffrey had seven catches. The rest of the team combined for six catches. I mean, they're Ridiculous. one in five. They should they should trade him for a second round pick. Like yes. this is it's obvious to us. Jacob Eason finished this game for the Panthers. Uh, Panthers local writers were mentioning that Sam Darnold might be returning in the near future, so we might get that back in our lives. McCaffrey did have a forty-yard catch from Jacob Eason too. All right, do that whatever you want. We'll close with Thursday night football: God. Washington Commanders twelve, Chicago Bears seven. I blocked this game from my memory. Uh, the winning quarterback, Carson Wentz, threw for 99 yards. Brian Robinson was the leading rusher with 60 yards. I think my biggest takeaway from this one, Daigle, was Justin Fields in totality. I know it says 14 of 27 for 190, one score and one interception. Five sacks taken. For every like positive play, it felt like there was a negative play. 
by him, but also a negative play by his teammates. I don't know what to do because early season struggles were fields. These last two weeks, I feel like it's turned a corner on moments, but like we said the same thing last year during his rookie season. And I just want to see it for stretches of series and games. And I'm just waiting to see that at some point. And they are averaging an increased 24 pass tents per game the past three weeks. I don't think the rushing yards are sustainable. Uh, that's the first time all year he's been over 55 rushing yards. So he did get there in the end because of the rushing floor. But I, I don't want to count on it weekly since it seems like just a blip on the radar. Uh, I mean, it's bad. You still can't start any of these guys. Like, Darnell Mooney is still 77th among all wide receivers in targets per game. Like, although he's leading the team with a 25% target share, it just doesn't matter. It's not actually enough targets to be seen as viable. It comes down to his one or two downfield shots weekly, and he has to make a Hall of Fame catch. Otherwise, the receiving yards won't be there in the end. So I'm still just worried about this entire offense overall. Yeah, I, I think Justin Fields has been playing slightly better, but still not good enough. The rushing yards are there where I think that he belongs uh, in the QB2 range. There was a time where in industry consensus was he was a, a quarterback three. I think he's firmly a quarterback two again. Um, maybe throughout the season, the offense will get slightly better, but it's clearly broken largely because of Fields, largely because of the offensive line, largely because, you know, basically everything. The rushing yards are enough to where I know I would take him over Aaron Rodgers. I do know that. Who, who has one, one top 14 finish this year, Aaron Rodgers. Hey, and I can't wait for you to watch that Packers-Jets game. It's just... Oh, I thought you were going to say this game. I was like, don't watch this game. You, you learn nothing from the Bears. It's it's just miserable what the Packers have turned into in, in just a year. Um, it sucks. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Curtis Samuel, led in targets again, by the way. Daigle, tell the people where they can find your waiver wire column and all the other content you put out. 44.com. We avoided a lot of injuries this week, so may not be as chaotic on the waiver wire, but nonetheless, there will still be players since you have bye weeks to handle. 44.com, Daigle 10. Again, if you message me, I'm sure we can get you 25% off. There you go. As for us, we'll have content on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. <laughs> Machine now. For Hayden, for Daigle, I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. Leave a thumbs up, like it, subscribe. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. My plan's okay. <laughs>